listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Happy Monday. Thank you so much for spending your time with us this hour. Aren't we all so thrilled that a giant mushroom cloud did not all envelop us uh, early Sunday morning as that alarm went off? I don't know about you, but when the alarm went off on your phone uh, on, on Sunday morning, around 7, did you just think to yourself, it's the end of days? Everyone will please not panic. Or did you just do what I did and just go right back to sleep? Did I just really? went. I just. I turned right over, and I thought to myself, it, it, "If this is the end of days, <laughs> if it's the end of time, I'm going to be sleeping when the mushroom cloud comes for me. I want to be well rested when I hit the pearly gates." <laughs> so that is uh, one of the things that is developing today as we try and get some answers for you from what happened out there at the power plant and why it is that this alert was sent out. Here is the minister in charge of all of this, the Solicitor General, Sylvia Jones, with a bit of a mea culpa for all of you who were so rudely awakened on Sunday morning. I apologize. It should not have taken that long to issue the uh, follow-up alert that said uh, that was a sent in error. Um, I don't think that was acceptable. I, it wasn't acceptable to me, and I'm sure it wasn't acceptable to uh, the people in Pickering and across the province who received the initial alert. Not acceptable. The two-hour delay in between sending out this erroneous information that scared the jabbers out of so many people and actually coming out and saying, no, 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 never mind, all good, all is well. The province's Solicitor General said the error occurred during a routine training exercise that was being conducted by the Provincial Emergency Operations Center, or PIOC. What do you do? I'm the head of PIOC. Uh, PIOC is responsible for coordinating the provincial government's response to major emergencies. It conducts exercises testing the system twice daily, but there was no intention actually to send this out. None whatsoever. Here is the NDP energy critic saying, okay, fine, fine, you sent the thing out by mistake, but what was with the two hours? What we haven't heard is an explanation of why it took two hours to let people know that, in fact, there was not a crisis. Uh, that's a long time for people to be waiting to find out what's really going on. We need a full investigation of the initial error, and we need a full investigation of why it took two hours to let the public know what was going on. Yeah, and when are we going to get the results of that? And what kind? Like, who is going to be held responsible for it? That's the other thing, is that these things are always like, well, we're going to look into that. And it does, oh, sorry about that. shouldn't happen. And then nothing ever happens. Like, nobody just said, well, don't do that again. Here is the former vice president of corporate relations and communications at Ontario Power Generation saying, if this thing was a drill, if you're doing this twice a day, why not just put at the top of the thing in block caps, this is a drill. The typical uh, process is, uh, you know, you, you kind of assume that something may accidentally get to the public. You know, obviously not that widely, but it's just a mechanical thing you put at the top of all announcements. This is a drill. This is a test. Uh, so people, if they get it by accident, they know, okay, I don't have to worry about it. The other one, and I would think that this will be part of the review, is that the announcement didn't say much. And it, and it probably raised more questions than it actually answered. Yeah, no kidding. And when this thing goes off, and here's the thing, is it goes off on my wife's phone and not my phone. So, obviously, the emergency center cares about her and not me, which is weird. 
Here again is the former vice president of corporate corporate relations at OPG saying, what was with the two-hour delay? The lag time didn't surprise me, given what would happen behind the scenes. But obviously, these days, people expect instant answers. Um, It's just what we're used to. And so the onus is on crisis comms plans and uh, crisis responders to, uh, to acknowledge that. So that is the, the, the talk about what took so long. Now here is Dave Ryan. He is the mayor of Pickering. Sort of echoing what I was saying, which is, okay, all right, fine. You sent out a thing by mistake. You scared everybody half to death. People probably ended up going to church. That's the thing. Because you get up, woken up that early in the morning, like, well, I best be going to pray now. But what was it with some people getting the thing and some people not getting it? I've been getting calls from a number of my residents uh, saying that they did not receive the alert, and that's problematic. If there are gaps in the communication, then there are going to be uh, gaps in, in the response from the community. All right, well, so that's that. We'll keep our eye on the investigation, see if we get any further. It'll be a couple of days at least before we get any information, if we ever get anything at all. Let's move to another nuke meltdown. This one happening in the U.K. right now. A bit of a conference, a conflab between the Queen and uh, Harry, and apparently Meghan Markle has called in. Just uh, line two, Meghan Markle. Uh, and here is the now, I uh, just on, hot on my desk here, royal communication statement from Her Majesty the Queen. Should I do it as the Queen? Today, my family had a very constructive discussion on the future of my grandson and his family. This is the statement from the Queen. My family and I are entirely supportive of Harry and Meghan's desire to create a new life as a young family. Although we would have preferred them to remain full-time working members of the royal family. And this is fun because members is capitalized and royal and family is capitalized. That's odd. We respect and understand their wish to live a more independent life as family while remaining a valued part of the family. Harry and Meghan have made it clear they don't want to be reliant on public funds in their new lives. They don't want our money anymore. It is therefore been agreed that there will be a period of transition in which the the Sussexes, the Sussexes will spend time in Canada and the UK. And the statement from the Queen concludes... These are complex matters for my family to resolve, and there is more work to be done. But I have asked for final decisions to be reached in the coming days. I wonder how awkward that conversation was today with the Queen. Like, Grandma, please. I would like to... Grandma, can I please go? Odd. Uh, and here's this. Uh, the Duke and Duchess are now believed to have moved their dogs to Canada. So when the dogs are here, you know they're here for good. The speculation is there that they're going to spend most of their time here. They reportedly flew their beagle in Labrador to a property on Vancouver Island. So the dogs are here. The kids here. Megan's here. They're coming, folks. And here's a question for you. Would you spend a dime of taxpayer dollars in this country to provide security for the Sussexes? Would you? I think the answer is no. You want you want an uptick in Republican sentiment in this country? Start asking for dollars to you know for security details. Here is author and royal family expert Robert Hardman saying that the talks with Prince Harry are not what some people call 
a constitutional crisis. At the heart of it, really, is is a is a is a, a very sad family row that everybody wants to sort out. Um, I don't. It doesn't have the feeling of a sort of you know a, a final parting of the ways. I think rather the atmosphere is look, come on, we've got to find a compromise here. I mean, really. I mean, it's just not done. It's not cricket, is it? And here again is Robert Hardman saying that getting the atmosphere right was one of the priorities in that summit, that royal summit that has just concluded. They don't want it to be confrontational or combative. Uh, I think everyone is in the mood for uh, consensus, and consensus is what the Queen has been uh, striving for, really, throughout her reign. Is this a crisis for the royal family, or is it just something to take our mind off all the other horrible things going on in the world right now? And I'm wondering, I, I, I'm wondering what you think of all of it. it when you hear the, the news about the royals, you're like, can we just get back to actual news and quit talking about these incredibly privileged people? Or is it something more, are you like Sheba, my producer, who is such a Meghan Markle fan? and is thrilled that Megan is here. Am I right, Sheba? Well, I'm happy for her. It makes no difference in my life personally, but she's escaped from that she's prison. Done, she's done the get out. You think that <laughs> you, you you think that she's been hard done by, not just by the British press and the tabloids, but also by the royal family itself. Oh, I think them more than anyone. I mean, didn't she go to some some family get-together a few months ago, or maybe was it a year ago, where somebody was wearing a racist pin? Yeah, Some family member? Yeah, a br- exactly. So, I mean, th- it's probably started there, and they haven't done anything to stop it in the media, so she's out. And she's taking the dogs with her. And, and taking the dogs and Harry. Yes. Well, Harry still has to cross over to come back here, but... Well, this is the thing. Are they going to let him go? That's another thing to keep your eye on. All right, thanks, Sheba. Appreciate that. All right, listen, when we come back here on the Alan Carter Radio Program, the very latest from Iran, we have some developments on the investigation into the downing of the airliner and some developments on the ground in Iran. And coming up, my remembrances of Neil Peart and why I think Neil Peart, and perhaps even more so than Gord Downey, Neil Peart for me is Canada's Poet Laureate. Welcome back to the program. We have developments from Tehran, where Iran has now reportedly cracked down on protesters. Videos verified by the Associated Press show police and security forces firing live ammunition and tear gas to disperse demonstrators who are protesting against the Islamic Republic's initial denial that it shot down that Ukrainian jetliner. And now this from the New York Times, a reporter from the New York Times just tweeting that Iran's state's TV anchor has resigned, saying, quote, it was very hard for me to believe the killing of my countrymen. I apologize for lying to you on TV for 13 years. Again, Iran State's TV anchor resigning and apologizing for lying to the people for 13 years. All of this follows some extraordinary tweets published by the McCain Company and by the head of the McCain Company, Michael McCain, who blamed U.S. government leaders and a narcissist in Washington for the downing of the jetliner that killed 176 people. Among the dead, said Mr. McCain in his tweets, 
was the family of a Maple Leaf Foods colleague. I want to read the tweet for you. There's been a bit of a tweet storm, but these are the two key tweets in the tweet storm that Mr. McCain put out. A narcissist in Washington tears tears world accomplishments apart, destabilizes the region. U.S. now unwelcomed everywhere in the area, including Iraq. Tensions escalated to a feverish pitch. Taking out a despicable military leader terrorist, there are a hundred like him standing next in line. The collateral damage of this irresponsible, dangerous, and ill-conceived behavior? 63 Canadians needlessly lost their lives in the crossfire, including the family of one of Maple Leaf Food colleagues, his wife, and 11-year-old son. We are mourning, and I am livid. Signed, Michael McCain. This has raised a lot of eyebrows. It is very, very unusual to see a CEO wade into the public discourse like this, especially a Canadian CEO. And David Soberman is a professor of marketing at Rotman School of Management and joins me on the line to talk more about this. Hi, David. Good afternoon. Did you find this extraordinary, this series of tweets from Michael McCain? Well, it's certainly unusual. Typically, companies and certainly company executives uh, try to stay out of the uh, political storms that are brewing uh, here and there, and they, because they want to, of course, maximize the appeal of their products, and so they do that by sort of not really becoming involved in uh, political issues. What would this mean for McCain and any possible business interests in the United States? Well, that's hard to say. Um, I think, obviously, there's uh, more than a small fraction of people that have similar feelings to what he has expressed. And certainly in Canada, I would argue that uh, the Americans have probably never produced um, a less popular political figure than Donald Trump. So this is something that could, of course, increase the uh, the appeal of of products or the reputation of the company in Canada. In the U.S., it's a different uh, different situation. But I guess one thing we have to remember, too, is that uh, Maple Leaf Foods has many brands, and the brands aren't necessarily linked to the actual uh, parent company. I found that, that this was interesting that it went out on the official corporate Twitter account. It did not come from Mr. McCain's personal Twitter. I don't know if he has one or not. But that would have been unusual because, you know, generally anything that goes through there is going to be workshopped and go through the comms department and all the rest. This does not seem to have been that. Well, I'm not so sure. I think if you're the CEO of the company, you can pretty much do what you want by virtue of your position. That being said, it's still unusual because typically CEOs don't make these sorts of pronouncements. I mean, we definitely see companies taking political positions. We had that with uh, Nike and Colin Kaepernick a couple of years ago. We had it with Gillette making a comment uh, maybe about a year ago about bullying. So companies do wade into the political sphere, not that often, but this is doing it in a different way. Um, I think also it shows, though, that the com- that companies are made up of people. And I think I can empathize with uh, Mr. McCain's feelings because if a colleague of his lost her lost his wife and child, I can imagine that were I myself in his shoes, I'd be pretty upset and very sad. What I think is interesting for a lot of Canadians is obviously at the highest level, at the government levels, the Prime Minister has to choose his words carefully. And, and so there, 
There is nobody in government that is going to express this sentiment that, as you point out, exists in Canada. And and it's interesting to me that it takes a corporate leader to put these words out there definitively. No, that's true. I I think, obviously, um, people that are in political positions, whether it's the prime minister or the premiers of provinces, um, they have to sort of consider... uh, the relations that they have with countries when they uh, make announcements. And clearly something like this, um, there there are different opinions that people can have on it, and those opinions themselves can be found as offensive. And when you're sort of trying to manage trade relations and economic relations and military relations with countries, you obviously have a lot more constraints on what you could say than when you're the leader of a corporation. Mind you, as I've said before, the the challenge with this is that um, McCain sells a lot of products in the United States, and you're right that there could be an issue with that. But I would hazard to guess, though, that um, probably most of the products that Maple Leaf sells in the U.S. are not immediately identifiable as coming from Maple Leaf Foods. David Soberman is a professor of marketing at Rotman School of Management. Always great to have you on the program. David, thank you so much. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I want to talk a little bit about Neil Pert, who the announcement came out uh, Friday afternoon that he had passed away last week from brain cancer. I take this from the New York Times. Mr. Pert's lyrics transformed the band's songs into into multi-section suites exploring science fiction, magic, and philosophy, often with the individualist and libertarian sentiments that inform songs like Tom Sawyer and Free Will. And Mr. Pert's drumming was at once intricate and explosive, pinpointing odd meters and expanding the band's power trio dynamics. Countless drummers admired his technical prowess. God, there is no drummer better than Neil Peart. And so, so much will it is being made of the technical prowess of Neil Peart. But I want to take a minute or so to talk about the lyrics and talk about why I think, to for me, Neil Peart is Canada's poet laureate. I know that Gord Downey wrote more about Canada than Neil Peart did, and I think for some that is why. Downey's lyrics, I think, represent this country. But for me, as a young suburban kid growing up in Burlington, the albums of Rush and the music of Rush helped shape me in a way that is difficult to to describe. I was raised in a religious family and, you know, going to church at least once, maybe twice a week, Bible study. And when I turned on Free Will, the song by Rush, this to me was more mind-blowing than any song about cars or girls or any punk rock. When Getty sang these words written by Neil, that you can choose a ready guide in some celestial voice. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. You can choose from phantom fears and kindness that can kill. I will choose a path that's clear. I will choose free will. And on a 14-year-old boy who had been raised in the church, that was mind-blowing to me. And I think it changed a lot 
of my perspective. And that's just one example. Here is Tyler Stewart, who was on this radio station a little earlier on today. Tyler Stewart is the drummer for Bare Naked Ladies, talking more about Neil Peart. He kind of went out the way he lived his life. It's like, I'm going to do what I do. I'm, I'm really good at it. I'm known for this. I retired, because he did. He retired. And then this went down. He didn't make yeah. it all about him. Uh, you know, and it, it's it's sad, and I think a lot of people were probably blindsided by it, and I think that's what we're dealing with this week is is this grief. You know, this is totally an ins- yeah. institution. This guy and the band's an institution. That is Tyler Stewart of Bare Naked Ladies talking about the passing of Neil Pert. I can tell you that I've been just listening to nothing but Rush for the last couple of days, and I will leave you with this line from Tom Sawyer that perhaps sums up. A lot of what I think about Neil Peart. No, his mind is not for rent to any god or government. Always hopeful, yet discontent. He knows changes aren't permanent. This is the Alan Carter Radio Program. Welcome back to the program. How's your January going so far? How's your relationship at home? Everyone will please not panic. Don't panic. Just because it's January, the holidays are over, it's a tough time for relationships. In fact, divorce lawyers often call January Divorce Month or Cha-Ching if you're a divorce lawyer. We're going to talk more about how you might be able to navigate the divorce system, a little cheaper, make it a little easier on yourself. But while we're talking about a crap load, how about this story from New Jersey? The sales family says it was shocked when they got used diapers from Amazon delivery service last week. They say they were given diapers in what appeared to be fecal matter. The Jersey City family buys diapers for their two daughters each month from Amazon's warehouse section. It sells open box and returned items at a discounted rate. Amazon inspects and certifies all open box products before it resells them. Amazon says it worked with the family to resolve the issue. Dave Schreiber, ABC News. That is crappy. That's crappy. That's what that is. And I still got a, I got another poo story for you. This one, bat poo. It's a smelly job, but researchers from Missouri and Virginia say it's an important one, too. That's why they've been studying piles and piles of bat guano that represent centuries' worth of bat diets in Missouri caves. One of the researchers from the Missouri Botanical Garden in St. Louis says they've been able to study centuries of localized natural history, such as changes in climate, vegetation, and how much the local landscape itself has changed from bat droppings. Kent Martin, ABC News, St. Louis. You sense a theme here? We got a little bit of poo. We got the double poo, and this is and we get right back to the divorce, which is a crappy way to begin your 2020 if you find yourself in this position. I have been through this, folks. Happened to me at the beginning of the year, too. It, it this I, They don't lie when they say January, February, tough time for relationships. It can happen to you. And if it does happen to you, it is terrifying And not only is it terrifying, but it's tough on the pocketbook. You know what Willie Nelson says about it? Willie Nelson, when asked about why is divorce so expensive, said, because it's worth it. 
Richard Teicher is a lawyer with Downtown Legal Services to talk more about navigating your way through what can be a very stressful time in your life. Richard, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Alan. Thanks for having me on. What's the number one question you hear from people when they start, you know, embarking down this road? Well, it's twofold. Number one, how much is this going to cost me? And, and two, how do, how do I get to the end of this? Well, the end, I can tell you, uh, is a long way in uh, the, over the horizon, I think. I mean, in, even if you can get it done quickly in terms of the actual documents, in terms of getting your life back together, it is a long road. When it comes to how much it's going to cost, as, as I was doing some research for this, really, it, it really is almost impossible to tell exactly how much it will cost. I, th- I think that's right, Alan, and a lot will depend on what your partner or former partner has in mind. So if, if they want to um, settle the case and stay out of court, uh, that's usually a uh, less expensive option than uh, litigating the full matter uh, till trial. Uh, but I think people generally underestimate how long uh, divorces take, how complicated they are, and the emotional toll it will take on the family. Here's the other thing that I think... <laughs> is one thing that I learned, is that your lawyer is not your confidant. You do not, you do not call up your lawyer uh, and talk about how things are going badly, because the lawyer is charging for every minute. Uh, that's exactly right. Most lawyers uh, charge in six-minute blocks, and it's a very expensive way uh, to get your feelings out. So uh, what I historically recommended is, you know, lean on your family and friends. Um, if, if necessary, uh, hire a professional, uh, a psychologist, therapist, or, or, or child-focused person who, who you can um, process those feelings with. But when you're uh, speaking with your lawyer, uh, tr- try and focus on the legal issues if, if you want to uh, maintain a, a sort of a reasonable bill at the end of the day. Richard, news today that a Toronto lawyer has created some new software that is about to go online. It's the online divorce forms. It's going to launch in February, and it's going to be available to legal clinics. And, and the idea here is that people should be able to download all of these documents and sort of go through them their, themselves. Is that realistic? Well, it, it's it's a difficult question, Alan, because certainly, uh, in, in my belief, family law is a very complicated area of the law, and it touches a, a whole bunch of areas. Uh, it could touch uh, corporate law, real estate, uh, estates, uh, and especially when you're dealing with children, these are these are complicated matters. It's not just the financial matters. But I do believe that technology has a role to play um, in family law going forward, and I and I do think um, uh, there. There is a possibility uh, that uh, technology can actually be uh, helping many, many Ontarians. Um, we see that um, the government has taken a role uh, in helping people with online forms. The divorce forms are online now at Ontario Divorce divorceforms.ca. Uh, Ryerson University has opened a portal uh, to assist people through their legal innovation zone. And uh, Community Legal Aid, uh, Community Legal Education Ontario, CLEO, has had uh, steps to justice.ca, which helps people with filling out forms in their guided pathways. So these are all uh, ways to assist people with the use of technology. And um, this new um, website or app uh, that's being proposed, uh, if it's a uh, modest or reasonably cost app uh, that helps people navigate the system, I'm all for it.
Is it actually realistic to think that you could negotiate or navigate your way through it as a layman? Well, as, as I said, it depends upon the, the complexity of your case. There, there are some cases that are, are quite uh, straightforward, and uh, people who want to work together to get to a resolution um, may be able to, to access those technologies uh, to their benefit and, and get to the end uh, of their case uh, without spending a lot of money or the next few years of their lives. Richard Tusher is a lawyer with Downtown Legal Services. I appreciate you being on the program. Thanks, Alan. Well, I hope that it's not something that you need to take advantage of, but if you do, there's something to keep in mind. Welcome back to the program. We have some developing news from Queen's Park, where the Minister of Education was speaking just a couple of moments ago. As you may well know, elementary teachers in this province are stepping up their work to rule. Beginning today, they won't do things like field trips or stay after school or come in earlier before school. Also, high school teachers will once again have a rotating strike uh, this week, I believe, on Wednesday. And you can expect elementary teachers to start going on strike starting next week if there is not substantial progress in talks with the government. Here is the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, speaking a few moments ago at Queen's Park. Teachers unions are not able to recognize and appreciate the negative impacts that these strikes have is quite regrettable. They're prepared um, to fight at all costs, even if it means adversely impacting uh, some of the most vulnerable within our society. That is wrong. And the government stands with parents against escalation. We have an opportunity to work through the, the negotiator, or through our negotiators and through the mediator for OSSCF to get a deal. End the needless escalation. Stop these strikes that hurt kids and focus on getting a deal. I remain, uh, you know, in my heart, cautiously optimistic that we can get a deal that keeps kids in class, that protects education and the continuity of learning. But it requires the teachers' union to do two things. One is to come to the table with proposals that will lead to a deal. And two, I'm urging them to end the needless escalation that is really having a very negative impact on working people uh, and their children in this province. That is Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, speaking at Queen's Park. I can tell you that on the other side, ETFO, the ETFO president, Sam Hammond, was on this very program on Friday, and he accused the government of not coming to the table with any meaningful concessions or any kind of updates to negotiations. So both sides digging in their heels, and that is bad news for students and for parents. The other news that's just happened, a statement from Her Majesty the Queen regarding the old Harry and Meghan situation, in which the Queen says that she is entirely supportive of Harry and Meghan's desire to create a new life as a young family. And it goes on to say, it has therefore been agreed that there will be a period of transition in which the Sussexes will spend time in Canada and in the UK. So it is clear that the Sussexes are coming to Canada, where they are going to establish their new brand ambassadorship. The, the new royal goop is what it really is. They're, you know, it is kind of a, a Gwyneth Paltrow sort of a deal. It's just with Harry and Meghan now. They're just going to be selling you crystals. Royal crystals. Ooh. Uh, other news I like today, the giant rubber duck is coming back to Toronto. Did you hear this? Remember, cast your mind back to a simpler days. 
2017, the summer of 2017, with a giant inflatable rubber ducky was along the Toronto waterfront. Well, the Red Path Waterfront Festival is hoping to repeat the success of that year by bringing back the duck. Bring that duck back! June 19th to the 21st, I can tell you firsthand as a reporter, I have been inside the duck. I, you, you can't, not everybody gets, you have to be a VIP to get inside the duck. But what you do, you see, the duck is inflatable. And you, what you do is you, you zip uh, open the butt of the duck. And then you actually climb into the cavity of the duck. I have been in the duck. And here's what I can tell you. I can report firsthand from the interior of the duck. It is two things. It is humid and it is yellow. It does not smell. It There's no smell. It's humid and yellow. The big duck. The big duck is coming back. All right. Have you seen Cats yet? Cats, the movie, is so bad. It is so bad. It has already become a cult classic. Review Cinema this weekend is going to be showing a special showing of Cats this weekend at the Review Cinema. It is so bad that people want to just hate watch it. And here's the other thing that's been really interesting. If you're watching box office numbers, there's been a slight uptick in box office revenue for Cats. You know why? People are getting high. Oh, geez. Real high and going to watch Cats. I don't know if that's your thing, but you can do that this weekend here in Toronto at the Review Cinema, the cult film Cats. Also with the box office, it took the Great War, but finally, Star Wars has been taken down. 1917 brought in $36.5 million in its first weekend of wide release, topping the box office and ending the three-week reign of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, which brought in $15 million. Uh, Universal's expansion strategy worked really well for 1917. It opened in limited release, and then now it has just opened to a wider selection of theaters. This just after winning the Golden Globes for Best Director and Best Drama Film. And now that brings us to the Oscars, because we have the Oscar nominations out. And to help me talk more about that, I am pleased to welcome back to the program Gris Jenselowis. How are you, sir? Not bad. Not, have you seen Cats? Oh, yeah. We talked about Cats at That's length. right. Were yeah. you high at the time? Maybe uh, no. I was high. That's why I couldn't remember. <laughs> I was not, but I can see how that might help watching. It might help. Some edibles, maybe? Legal now in this country. Yeah, they are legal. You get a legal edible and you head down and you watch I, little cats. I just don't know like, if there's any drug powerful enough to erase certain <laughs> things in that movie, i.e. Judy Dench being sexy in a cat costume. I don't know. <laughs> It's so wrong. Oh, I get the furball just thinking about it. All right. The uh, movie Joker topping the Academy Award nominations with 11. You surprised by that? Just barely topping the noms uh, by one, actually. But yeah, I'm a little surprised. But then again, you know what? I'm not. At the same time, the Oscars generally tends to fall back on the typical things that you would expect. So, like, there's huge performance by Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, uh-huh. You know, you can't really argue he's good in the movie, uh, despite the subject matter, despite the plot and what everyone else hates about it. Um, he is stupendous. Um, you know, as for the other things, music, cinematography, direction, uh, you know, it's it's a bit surprising. But again, there aren't that many candidates this year. I feel like the, the playing field's a little small, so... Um, 
yeah, Joker was going to be in there. Let's take a look at the other movies in the Best Picture category. The Irishman from Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Sam Mendes in 1917. We talked about that as well. Also, Parasite, Little Women, Marriage Story, Jojo Rabbit, and Ford v. Ferrari. Anything stand out in those? Well, I personally loved, and as we've discussed before, I loved Jojo Rabbit. It's probably my favorite movie of the year, so I'm very, very happy that that's there. Um, I'm a little shocked at uh, the Oscars, the Academy, voting for... uh, Well, Netflix actually has the most nominations of all, so it beats every other studio, which is, I think, again, uh, as we discussed last week with the Golden Globes, um, I thought they would go a little old school. I thought they would be no Netflix, no streaming, but it turns out that they are. It's the question of who actually gets the little statue, though, because we saw a lot yeah. of Netflix movies nominated for Golden Globes, and then the Golden Globes saying, well, no, we're not going right. to give them they to you. They won one trophy out of all for, for movies. Not They won a TV one as well, but one movie award at the Golden Globes is pretty sad. I want to play this for you because I, this, this jumped out at me. This is a part of the announcements for the Best Director nominations and a bit of a slide dig here at the end. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and Parasite. Bong Joon-ho. Nice. I did it. I did, did it. it. Thank you so much. You did it. Congratulations to those men. Congratulations to those men. Yeah. Because I, there are no women... <laughs> nominated here yeah well i can't say with certainty that that was um purposeful but it sounds purposeful to me uh isa ray from insecure very very uh you know she's outspoken and uh has made plenty of comments in the past so this wouldn't be surprising um this is the second year in a row that there have been no female director nominees which really honestly is just disgusting considering how many movies there were this year that they could have been nominated for, including uh, obviously Greta Gerwig for Little Women. Yeah, Little Women seems to be, that seems to be the movie that like it's nominated so many other categories. How is it possible that she doesn't get a nom for director? Yeah, it's uh, it's really questionable. Uh, it's just always men all the time. <laughs> uh, every single year, pretty much. Uh, there's maybe a one female vote, one woman vote uh, nominated up there. And that's uh, really honestly sad in, in 2020. Let's take a look at the nominees for Best Actor. Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. And Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Is Phoenix a shoe-in for this one? I say it's a toss-up between Joaquin and Leonardo DiCaprio. Just because, uh, you know, those two movies are really the most standout in terms of fitting with the Academy. Generally what they do in the past. There's not really surprises at the Oscars anymore. Uh, to see a, a surprise win by, say, Antonio Banderas, that would be pretty shocking. Because I, That movie I don't, I'm not familiar with. Yeah, uh, not many people are. So that's another reason why I would say probably not Antonio or the two Popes nominee. Under the category of what year is it anyway, here are the nominees for Best Supporting Actor. Tom Hanks, Anthony Hopkins, Brad Pitt, Joe Pesci, and Al Pacino. Yeah, what year is this? What? I'm sorry, what? Is it 1997? What, what is happening? Wow. That, you know, that's a pretty unbelievable category. I mean, why is Tom Hanks nominated for Best Supporting when he played Mr. Rogers? It, it, yeah, how could he be a supporting actor when it's, the movie's all about you? It feels to me a bit of a shoehorn. Uh, I'm not sure. It's like they, they just want to give him one. Yeah. 
And what is interesting is, and, and we see this in the Oscars every couple of years, where you know they they just feel bad. The Academy feels bad that they haven't given you an award for something else. Like I'm thinking about Scorsese. Uh, I can't remember which one he won for, but they just kind of felt bad because they didn't give it give him anything for Taxi Driver, for Raging Bull, or anything else, right? And and is there anything in here you think, well, ah, they're just going to have to give it to somebody to to one of these because of, you know. Because they've been passed over in, in Well, another thing that past. they do now is they give those like huge awards, you know, like the Cecil B. DeMille, mm-hmm. like the Lifetime Achievement. If they've kind of screwed you out of an award for your entire career, now that's what they do is they just give you one of these prestigious awards and they feel better about it after that. One thing that I have to mention, though, is Scarlett Johansson is nominated for two Oscars. What? So she's nominated in two categories. She's nominated for Best Actress and she's nominated for Best Supporting Actress. And I really, honestly, this just is shocking and appalling to me just because there are so many other deserving people who could have been in either of those categories. In Jojo Rabbit, Scarlett Johansson's character is is negligible. She's in it for, you know, maybe like 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, And I just think that could have gone to someone else. What about J-Lo getting snubbed? Yeah, so that's a huge deal online right now. On social media, there's much, much vitriol about Jennifer Lopez not getting this nomination. Uh, she was beloved in the movie. The movie itself was a was a real big fan favorite. Um, so people are feeling snubbed about that. That's Hustlers. That's Hustlers. Um, you know, you could have had Lupita Nyong'o for Us, which was, um, it's been a while since that movie was released. So I think that's more people might have forgotten. Um, but she's outstanding in that movie. Uh, Aquafina, who we saw at the Golden Globes, won best actress so um that's someone else that could have been nominated here but wasn't and you'll note a theme which is that these are women of color and um they're not included but scarlett johansson a white woman is nominated for two awards this year two oscars nonetheless chris jenselowitz is with globalnews.ca you can read his stuff online always great to have you here on the program thank you so much chris anytime thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour join me tonight on global news at 5.30, and then simulcast right here on this radio station beginning at 6. And I will see you again tomorrow at 3.